our current events prophecy update for uh, today or this week will be titled 2020, a benchmark year for America. I'm going to start this out by reading a couple scriptures from the great book of Zechariah, chapter 13, verse 8. It says, And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire and refine them as silver is refined, and I will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. Uh, I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. So, you know, when you think about the year 2020, and you think, why is this year so different than the rest of the years? Well, you know, well, I'll just name a few things that make it so different. We all know coronavirus, uh, governors exercising dictatorial powers over their states, tearing down of statues, protests, rioting. Um, forced mask wearing, massive uh, election fraud, and on and on the list goes. 2020, everybody th everybody's, you know, saying to themselves or thinking to themselves, when will this year be over so we can get back to normal? When will 2020 be over? Uh, and, you know, I don't know if it's going to get back to normal after 2020. Um, it seems like we're entering into a little bit of a new era here and uh, an era of trial and testing. Um, but, but. 2020 isn't just another year based off of everything that's happening, obviously. Uh, November 2020 actually marks the 400th year of the landing of the Mayflower on Plymouth Rock, um, an event that most recognize as the official birthday of America. So, in other words, we're living in a benchmark year, whether we're having coronavirus or any of this other stuff or not, because it's the 400th year uh, since America was born. Um, you know, in, in 2000, June of 2019, you guys may have remembered me bringing up this 400 years of uh, America um, in our studies in the book of Genesis. And, and in that study, I was actually just looking at it the other day, it popped up on one of my feeds. Uh, in that study, I mentioned that um, being that the number 400 is coming up here, um, God seems to deal with nations in periods of 400 years, and I thought, well, I think we're going to probably see some kind of a change in America, whether it's good or bad, I don't know. And uh, I totally forgot that we had been talking about that. Now looking back, well, that was before the coronavirus was even known and so forth. So, I mean, am I trying to say I'm some kind of a prophet? I pro uh, foretold it. No, what I'm trying to say is, uh, you know, when you're a student of the Bible, you can recognize patterns in history as well as biblical prophecy. And so you can kind of guess that something, you know, you can kind of guesstimate on certain things. And I knew, you know, just in the past, again, God dealt with the Israelites in segments of 400 years. The children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years and they came out and so on. So, um, interesting that that, uh, that actually uh, came to pass. But something interesting when we look into the number 400 you know, God has everything designed according to, num you know, in, in nature, when you look at everything, there's patterns of numbers and nature and the structure of how he created everything. Um, time is the same to him. He's got everything structured uh, according to time. And so when you look at the number 400, it's actually 10 times 40. Well, what's the significance of that? Well, we know 40 is the number of probation. It's a number of trial or testing. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted of the devil. The children of Israel were 40 years in the wilderness to be tested to see, uh, tested, and tried before they could enter the promised land. And so when you see 10 times 40, that's really what you're doing is you're, you're amplifying the number of uh, probation or trial. And it seems like that's the period we're heading into right now. I mean, think about it. Right now we are living under a dictatorship in Minnesota. We would have never thought uh, such a thing was possible, you know, two years ago. We, we literally uh, cannot go, uh, you literally cannot go over to your neighbor's house or your uh, uh, relative's house that don't live with you without being threatened with a thousand dollar fine or 90 days in jail. Think about that. That's, that's, we, we think about the Soviet Union being bad. I mean, 
Uh, yeah, the Soviet Union was bad and uh, in, in many cases worse than this, but this is pretty bad. This is pretty bad, um, what we're living in right now. Um, all right, so we're, we're looking at 400 being the emphatic year of uh, trials or testing. Um, and, and so we, we think about this, we think, okay, so a lot of people are wondering, where, where do we come out of this? Do we come out of this better? Does America have sort of a, a revival of its greatness uh, on the world stage and its greatness within? Or do we get taken over by the radical communists that want to control every aspect of our life? Um, I think we're at a crossroads here. I don't know which way it's going to go, to be honest with you. I just know that we seem to be in a very, very uh, important time that we've got to stay focused and stay close to God's word more so than probably any other time. Um, all right. So um, being that we're talking about the year, this being a year of trial or tribulation, you know, we've had a pretty cushiony life most of us, you know, besides our personal trials and temptations. But as a nation, it's been pretty a pretty cush life. We haven't had a lot of, uh, you know, turmoil or, you know, threats of losing our freedom and stuff like that, other than some bad, crooked politicians. Um, so we're, we're just not used to this. But you think back to the Mayflower. It was a treacherous two-month journey across the, Atlantic o uh, across the Atlantic Ocean where only half of the passengers survived. Uh, and they were fleeing religious persecution from Europe to come here to be free to be able to live out biblical Christianity. And they were willing to make that sacrifice. Um, you know, I think uh, we've, we've kind of forgotten what it takes to be free. We were handed, we inherited this great country, and uh, we are living off of its benefits, but we forgot what it took to, to, uh, to have what we have. Uh, maybe, maybe this... All that's going on is God's way of reminding us, hey, if you really want freedom, if you really want to uh, have a blessed land and a blessed inheritance to leave your children, uh, you have to remember that it comes at a price. And maybe we will have to uh, suffer uh, much like those before us had to suffer at times. Um, all right. Which brings me to one other point here I wanted to mention. Um, you know, there are many, many times great blessings come after periods of trial. Again, you had the children of Israel, they were trapped by Pharaoh, you know. They, Pharaoh had them trapped by the Red Sea, and Pharaoh thought he had them, and, and, they, and he was going to defeat them. Um, and it was a very troublous time. All the Israelites were probably, you know, doubting at that time, saying, oh my gosh, the, well, we know they did. Did, the, did God lead us out here to have us die in the wilderness? And what did God do? He opened up the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went over. So we have to expect that sometimes, um, from here on out, things are going to look really bad. And we don't want to be one of those people that just throws in the towel and says, oh, it all sucks. It's not, we're not, there's no hope. We're just going to, uh, you know, it's just going to be bad from here on out. Because we don't know. God could miraculously bring us into a better place, and you could have another 400 years of uh, American greatness. Um, we don't know that. You know, the, uh, the Israelite nation, before they lost their freedom and were taken captive, uh, they, their nation lasted for about 800 years before that happened. So America's only 400 years, so you never know. Um, you also had uh, the wars against the Canaanites before the children of Israel were able to inhabit the Promised Land. That wasn't easy, okay? That took a lot of suffering, a lot of sacrifice. And you look back at Job, he lost everything before being restored double. So there was suffering before great blessing. Okay. So what am I saying? I'm saying that it's possible we could be going through a period like that, or it's possible we could be going right into the New World Order beast government. I don't know. Um, another example of that, Jesus suffering on the cross before his glorious resurrection. And on the list goes, great suffering before great blessings. Uh, so what makes me hopeful is this. We've got some people in place to fight back and to actually help restore America. There are some things happening that are, that are positives while we have all these negatives. 
Um, John MacArthur here, a famous Bible teacher from California, uh, he wrote, he tweeted this. He says, it's divine providence at work as the Lord uses the death of Ruth, Gator, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the Hoovers of New York Governor Cuomo, and the determination of at real Donald Trump and the convictions of Justice Barrett to protect the freedom of his church. And the article that he posted, uh, that he tweeted about here, um, was about the Supreme Court overruling uh, Governor Cuomo of New York's um, ruling against the churches being able to meet. I can't remember if he put restrictions on the numbers or what he did. But the Supreme Court shot him down. So there are a lot of good things happening at the same time. Uh, I guess in short, right now, we're in a battle. We're in a clash of two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. And, um, and the war is on and the war is raging. So um, that gives us hope that we have good people in place to do good things. Uh, you know, it's funny, and you think of Donald Trump. There is, maybe I, I shouldn't say this, but in the Army, in one of our train-ups before going overseas, there's one of this trainer that I'll never forget it. He, he would uh, have us, or he would always be saying, remember how it went now. Yeah, stay alert, stay alive. I don't know if you had the same guy or not. Uh, I don't remember. So we can do bad things to bad people, you know. And Donald Trump seems like one of those guys that wants to do bad things to bad people. Uh, so, um, anyways, Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8 uh, and 9. I read that in the beginning, and and somebody might be wondering, what, what are we reading? Are two-thirds of Americans going to die, you know, um, from, the, from some kind of pestilence or disease or whatnot? Now, I don't know if this verse is to be taken literally or not, but it's interesting. It does seem to fit what's going on spiritually in our nation. Two-thirds of our people, um, it, we like to think it's closer to half, are, um, or I'm sorry, uh, one-third of our people are very dedicated in preser preserving America's freedom. It, it seems like that, roughly. Uh, we got about, then you got the people in the middle that will just cast their vote for Trump because they're the silent Trump voter. They're not really passionate about freedom and, and things like that, but they're, but they're at least you know somewhat decent people and they, they kind of know what's right and wrong. Um, and then you have two-thirds, if we were to go, uh, if we were to you know, talk about this, you got two thirds that are basically, um, um, uh, well, I guess you could say right now you got at least a, about a third that are just totally bad. So what, I, I'm not trying to say that this is exactly what's going on, but it's interesting. Will it play out like this? Will we end up with one third of a dedicated uh, group of people in America that try to preserve it against two thirds? Um, it, it sure seems like we're kind of heading that way. Because even after a while, some people that have been that you thought were on your side, eventually after the temptations and the, the world keeps creeping in on them, eventually a lot of those, you know, some of those people fall away and they get sucked back, they get sucked into the world that way. But um, it'll be interesting. Um, all right, verse 9 of chapter 48. It's got a couple scriptures to read to close up this current events. For my name's sake will I defer mine anger and for my praise will I refrain for thee, that I cut thee not off. Okay, he's back in Isaiah here. He's talking about the Israelites here. He's saying, "I'm not going to totally cut you off. I'm going to save you, not for your sake, but for my name's sake." Verse ten, he says, "Behold, now check this out. I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction." Why did I grab this verse here? Well, it, again, it God has it in his plan to bring his people, the people he's chosen, through the fire of affliction, to purify them, to take away the thing, you know, that everybody knows that when you go through trials and uh, temptations uh, and you come out of it, you come out a stronger uh, person uh, with um, a lot better mindset. Verse 11. For mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it, for how should my name be polluted? 
and I will not give my glory unto another. So again, God says he's going to save Israel, but not because they're so righteous and so great, but for his own name's sake. Because, uh, you know, it gets to a certain point, you look at how anti-Christian the left has gotten. I mean, think about the Democrat Party. They're, they're the party of abortion, gay marriage, transgenderism, socialism. Um, did I miss any? There's <laughs> probably a whole bunch. But you think about that. How could one party be for everything that is anti-Bible? I mean, that tells you who's in control of that party now. It didn't always used to be like that. But now, at this point, they're the... The man who controls their party, obviously, uh, is Satan himself. I mean, there's no other way that a party could totally be against the Bible. Um, I'll, I'll go on. They're anti-American. Um, the Democrat Party, they hate the founding of America. They're trying to tell us that it was all racist and you know genocide and all these types of things, which I think we'll touch on a little bit next week, maybe in our current events message. But anyways, I will t close that up for and take any questions or comments. I think overall, just like you were saying about the refining, I think that, <clears throat> if anything, good comes out of this. A lot like, you know, like on 9-11, that kind of forced a lot of people to question things, and, uh, you know, the church is still up. I don't know if we're seeing that necessarily, but I think it is kind of separating the, the God-fearing from the God-less. I guess, yeah, a period of uh, refining, it, it does separate. It separates the good from the bad. That's what refining is. And uh, not just to individuals, but to big group. We really are seeing that, a separation. Uh, <clears throat> you know, they want to tear down history, the uh, statues and things like that. And that's BLM and Antifa and them guys, you know. Well, isn't slavery history, too? Shouldn't we tear that down and get rid of it? I mean, you can't have it both ways. Let's get rid of the history of white people, but keep the history of black people. So that you remember how bad we were. Yeah. It, it's kind of like when I worked at the casino. It was all for one race, their race. You know, you were just a number. You know, we, you can't have it both ways. You think about how the, the education system and the media are presenting, um, you know, so they have this thing where they, they talk about America. They, they started at 1619 with the, the plant, America starting with the planting of Jamestown instead of the landing of the Mayflower. But um, they're basically, you know, trying to make it look like the founding of America was evil and if we would have just left the Indians alone and not taking their land, that would have been the righteous thing to do. But what we did was evil. Now, I, I think to myself, okay, so what you're telling me is you prefer, uh, you would have preferred America to remain a land where ritual child sacrifice was performed, um, you know, where they were throwing people off the top of uh, temples, and other kinds of human sacrifices, all kinds of nature worship. I mean, um, they forget what the, the, what the Indians stood for. Yeah, there were a few loyal type, uh, uh, loyal Indians that actually helped us, but guess what? A lot of those ones that were loyal and helped us had been over to Europe and back. So they had been educated by Europe and back and they were to help. So what, what we're looking at here is they're trying to justify paganism and condemn Christianity. Right. And that's what it's really about. So obviously America would not have been better off had the Pilgrims never landed here, and uh, the Christians had not conquered this land. I mean, 
you think about it, there's not a country on this planet that where one people didn't take the land away from another people. Um, if we were to condemn the Americans, then we'd have to condemn the Israelites for conquering the land of Canaan because it was for the same purposes. I mean, the, the pilgrims, when they landed here, they said it was for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. Were they perfect in doing that? Obviously, no. The Israelites weren't perfect either, but they were definitely more righteous than the Canaanites, than the pagans. Um, so it's, it's, it's silly. What it comes down to is they, they hate Christianity and they love paganism. Um, any other questions or comments? You think when it gets really bad since you took the oath foreign and domestic <laughs> we'll have the army on our side or not or will it be a government controlled army I mean I don't know isn't that I've always thought of that you know I mean if we ever get to the point where it's everything breaks up loose you know well if I think if you had a, if America did fall apart like that it wouldn't probably be all of the army or none of the army you probably have factions okay because there are good leaders, uh, good military leaders and bad military leaders. Obama filled the military with a bunch of bad ones. Uh, you know, it took eight years of doing whatever he could to corrupt the military. So, I don't know. If we ever ended up in a civil war, it wouldn't be the North versus the South or this group versus that no. group. There would be all kinds of factions fighting each other. Guerrilla warfare. Yeah. It would be uh, crazy. I'm looking forward to it. I really hope it happens before I die. <laughs> all right all right any other questions or comments all right all right well this this study actually fits into what we're talking about here all right the chapter for this week will be jeremiah 3 return to me backsliding israel you know the the Jeremiah's name means the one whom God launches forth. Okay, we keep I keep saying it, but Jeremiah was against everybody. He was against the the kings. He was against the princes. He was against the priests. Uh, why was he against all of them? Because God told them told him to deliver His word of warning and condemnation against all these people for their for their corruption and for their sins. And obviously Jeremiah was not liked too much. Uh, the people we learned from the book of Lamentations that they actually uh, sang songs about him in their taverns, mocking him. You know, oh, Jerem, you know, whatever, you know, whatever kind of silly songs they they uh, sung. You know, probably look a lot like Saturday Night Live, how they mock Christians and conservatives incessantly. Uh, probably look a lot like that. But in the last chapter, God condemned Israel for her unfaithfulness, and the theme of this chapter is that God wants to take Israel back even though she was grossly polluted with idolatry. He was willing to take her back. But but the one thing he's going to say in this chapter, he's not going to take them back just to take them back. They have to acknowledge their sin and repent. Um, and that's something that America has a big problem with right now. We don't want to say that homosexuality is a sin. We don't want to say that abortion is a sin. So you can't turn back to God unless you first acknowledge what you're doing is wrong and how do we know what's wrong how do we define what's wrong is it what Pastor Ben says is right or wrong or somebody else no it's whatever the God's law says is right or wrong it's very simple very simple to do um, and, and, and I'll say this could you imagine what America I mean could any of you even envision America as a whole repenting of abortion homosexuality and all this multiculturalism and worship of many gods mentality. Could you imagine that? I just can't foresee that. I mean, it, it could happen in our lifetime. You never know. Um, it obviously wouldn't be everybody, but as a whole, um, I guess, you know, MAGA, Make America Great Again, it is a movement towards that, people wanting to do that, and it's a pretty big movement. So um, we'll see. All right, Jeremiah 3, verse 1. <coughs> They say, if a man put away his wife, and she go from him, and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? 
Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers, yet return again to me, saith the Lord. So there's a law in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4, that forbade a man uh, to divorce and remarry the same wife if she had gotten married to another man. Um, and, you know, the, the point is, the, why God's bringing up this law in this passage is, is that God is willing to take back his people even though they had been grossly defiled uh, with pagan worship. You know, this isn't... So, and the reason why God made it a law, because it, it's too hard for man to get that that uh, imagery out of his mind. That relationship could be very, very hard. I'm not saying it's, it's totally impossible upon, you know, upon forgiveness and things like that. But if a man marries a woman, he divorces her, and then she marries another man, for him to take her back again, there's all these defiling elements that still are going to cause a lot of trouble, you know, in, in the marriage from then on out. But God, but God, basically what God's saying is, I'm a little bit bigger than that. I can overlook that stuff. Even though you're totally polluted and you've gone after many lovers, I'll still take you back, is what he says. Um, so you think about that. I mean, that's really... Uh, what the New Testament is all about. You know, when Jesus died for this harlot bride, the nation of Israel that got steeped in idolatry, he actually died for her to get her to come to get her to come back. And that really does put it in perspective when you think of how many people still mock and scoff and uh, reject uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, think about this. If, if you did this to your husband and then he died to get you back, who would do that? Who would do that? Most men would say, if my wife went and played the harlot, I hope she dies, okay? <laughs> you know? Um, it would be, but it's, it's amazing. The love he has for his people in spite of what, uh, what we've done to him. Verse 2. Lift up thine eyes unto the high places and see where thou hast been lying with. In the, in the ways hast thou sat for them as the Arabian in the wilderness and thou hast polluted thy land with thy whoredoms and with thy wickedness. Again, this actually, God is actually talking about both idolatry and adultery because these two were mixed together, and that's why they're, they're used interchangeably in the Old Testament here as well as the New Testament. Um, because when the Israelites worshiped these false gods, they did things that were very, they did... Uh, things of a sexual nature I'm trying to keep this clean for all the kids but they participated in, in, in sexual orgies and acts to in worship of these other gods so that, so when God says they were playing the harlot they were literally and figuratively playing the harlot I mean they were gathering in these temples and they were doing all kinds of lewd uh, sexual immoral acts in worship of false gods um and, and he says that pollutes the land. Now, now think about this. Idolatry not only corrupts the individual, but it corrupts the land. It corrupts the nation. You know, a lot of people think, you go to a lot of churches today and all they talk about is personal salvation and your own sins and your own life. But when you read the Bible, God doesn't just focus on the individual. He focuses on the nation. The nation, you know, if the nation's sinning, they, they, they're all kind of responsible together. Um, for instance, we're under, right now, Minnesota's under the control of a, a mini-dictator right now, using coronavirus as an excuse to restrict us of our freedoms. Um, that, uh, you know, the, we may not have, you know, some, some of you may live a great, good, godly Christian life, and you don't deserve that, but you're still suffering because of what uh, the Minnesotans have done. They've elected these people to be in charge of us. So we all either get blessed or experience hardships at, together as a nation based off of our national collective um, acts. Verse 3, Therefore the showers have been withholden, and there hath been no latter rain. And thou hast... Now, now think, look at how plain God speaks. So some people might say, well, Pastor Ben, you kind of speak a little rough sometimes. You say things that we don't really want to hear. Well, look at the reason why I do is because I'm just really trying to read and explain the Bible. And this is God's nature. 
nature. He says, Thou hast, uh, and thou hast a whore's forehead and refuses to be ashamed. Oh, but we don't talk that way in our church. We don't say mean, judgmental things like that, you know. Uh, what does he mean by a whore's forehead? Well, a whore doesn't think she's doing anything wrong. She justifies what she's doing, okay? She has no, at that point in her whoredom, she has no conscience. She, um, it, in her mind, she's righteous and she's very stubborn. I didn't do anything wrong. That's what he means by a whore's forehead. Now you look at uh, America today, there are a lot of people with this mentality that we're not doing anything wrong. Homosexuality is not a sin. Abortion's not a sin. It's the woman's choice over her body, but if it's coronavirus, you better put a mask over that body, right? And so on. Um, all right, the, sh the, rain, the rain was withholding. What, what do you think that would do if there's no rain? That's going to destroy the economy, right, back then? If you don't have rain, you don't have crops. And what God is saying is, I'm going to destroy your economy even. Um, again, that's not just personal sins. That's, that's why we are supposed to be concerned with the state of our nation. We're not just supposed to say, well, I'm going to heaven. I'm just going to hide out in my little church here, and we're going to teach salvation messages all day long and say, do you love Jesus? That's good. Don't worry about what's going on in the world. You're fine. You're heaven bound. But then they find out that that's not true because a lot of the churches are finding out that now we can't even meet in our church to talk about personal salvation. And then if I want to go on the Internet and use Facebook or YouTube, now they say, well, we can't have that content on our platform. So then we're, you know what I mean? So you see that it's it doesn't work that way. Okay, when thou, when thou not from this time, uh, wilt thou not from this time cry unto me, my father, thou art the guide of my youth. So God's saying, hey, when you, when you get into a low point in your life, he says, you know, uh, uh, Many, that's the time that many. That's the only time that many people actually cry out to God is when things are going really bad. Verse five: Will He reserve His anger forever? Will He keep it unto the end? Behold, Thou hast spoken and done evil things as Thou couldest. In other words, what Jeremiah is saying is, Hey, God's not gonna be angry forever. He doesn't want to be angry. He doesn't want to be mad. But there's something you got to do about it. Verse six. The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. Again, on the high mountains, that's where these pagan temples were that they performed these grievous acts, uh, and even under the... The trees, you know, this is, you know, you think about nature worship, this is where it's at, right here under the green tree, you know, where they perform their uh, fertility rituals under the green tree. Um, uh, you know, but, but think about this word, the, the word backsliding, what it really means if you want to picture it. You think of Christianity as uh, a life that you're constantly walking up a hill, you know. It's an upward walk. It's not easy, it's not totally flat. You gotta walk, you gotta, it takes some effort to get up that hill. And you think sliding backwards, you think of that hill getting a little wet and a little slippery. And once you start slipping down that hill, the backward slide goes pretty fast. If you've noticed in your own life, if you ever have gotten away from God a little bit or uh, not put him first in your life, that you can slide back pretty fast. You know, And then you start losing that sensitivity to the spirit and, um, and you're your dedication to him and so on so backsliding means to fall away from and that's definitely you know we talked about 400 years ago the pilgrims landing here those they were they, that's the only reason they came here was for the glory of god and the advancement advancement of the christian faith and many generations after that held to that standard um and look at where we're at now where everything that used to be considered evil is now considered righteous and everything. It's, we've totally backslidden. Verse 7, And I said after she had done all these things, Turn thou unto me. But she returned not, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Okay? Now, 
um, it's a, you think about this, um, a lot of people, it's going to talk about this in a little bit, I was going to talk about it then, but I'll talk a little bit about it now. So the nation of Israel was split into two kingdoms. I've talked about this a lot, you know, the northern kingdom, the house of Israel, was made up primarily of the ten tribes, and the southern kingdom of Judah was made up primarily of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, and uh, they became known as the Jews, whereas the ten northern tribes of Israel lost their identity, they forgot who they were, though God knows who they are, they totally forgot who they were, and they um, still to this day, most of them do not have any idea uh, that they are Israelites. So, but, but anyways, what God is saying here is, um, you know, Judah saw Israel go into captivity. The nation of Israel, the ten northern tribes, went into captivity to the Assyrians about a hundred years before the kingdom of Judah fell to the Babylonians. So the point is, God says, you saw your uh, sister, Israel, um, get punished for all of her whoredoms, but yet you repeated the same thing. You didn't learn from that example. Um, quell this here. Hey, why is there all this noise in here? Oh, oh, shake them off. Okay. All right. It's really, really loud here, and it's hard to think when I hear a banging around. Okay. All right. Lucy, you, you be a good leader, okay? <laughs> I was hoping it would go away, but it kept getting louder and louder. <laughs> All right. All right, so the point is, when you see other people get punished by God, don't be silly enough to repeat the same things they did. Why would you want to suffer? Verse 8, and I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. Okay, so again, you know, you look at this. You know, God actually divorced the Israelites. What does that mean? They, well, they were in a covenant with him a sacred agreement that they would obey God and he would bless them and make them a great nation. But then since they committed adultery, God had the legal right to divorce the nation. So he divorced them, so to speak, figuratively, and uh, gave them up to the Assyrians. Said, hey, you want to be with your lovers? Go live with your lovers then. Out of here. And, uh, and that's what happened. Um, Verse 9, and it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. Okay? They worshipped uh, phallic symbols. They, you know, you think about paganism, all kinds of stones and statues that they worshipped. But you know, you might be you might be thinking, well, nobody does this anymore. Um, and Boy, if you look at some of these large corporations, and, and um, uh, I'll give you an example. They like to put these phallic symbols in there, and you might not have never realized it. Now that I told you, you'll go and look, and you won't be able to see anything but that. Uh, the, one of the most prominent ones, and it's not because anybody who buys from these places are evil. It's because a lot of these people that own these companies really are steeped in paganism. I mean, they do things behind closed doors that would probably make your uh, your skin curl up, and you'd think, no way would anybody do that stuff. Um, I know you're waiting for me to give an example of one. Uh, Amazon, you ever look at that arrow? Now look closely at that arrow, and then what we're talking about here as far as phallic symbols go. Uh, when you look at how the arrow is designed, there's no way anybody would put that much thought into it to give it a certain curvature and... And, you know, an arrow, you can make an arrow just a regular arrow. It doesn't have to look like either an arrow or that. And you can sell when you look at the, the Amazon symbol. It's, it's definitely a phallic symbol. Um, and, and that's just one example. You start looking at a lot of these big major corporations, you'll start seeing that they like to hide all of this pagan, pagan stuff in there in ways that it has dual meanings. To you, you, they'll present it as like Amazon. It's just an arrow getting fast to your house. But to them, it means more than that. Um, and you'll, you'll, 
once you start looking, you'll begin to see it all over the place. Verse 10, And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned away unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly uh, saith the Lord. Okay. Again, so Judah saw Israel get punished for her whoredoms, yet she faked. She didn't repent of her sins or stay away from her sins. She repeated what Israel did. But not only did what makes her even worse than the Israelites is she faked. She faked like she loved God. Remember the, you, you can even go up to the future of the nation of Judah when they, uh, the scribes and Pharisees, right? What did they do? They said they, they said that they loved God, but they really didn't. And they ended up crucifying God himself in the flesh in the form of uh, Jesus Christ. Um, so he says, uh, so they faked they now now what does this have to do with today okay how okay history yeah i understand history it's it's important to learn from um but but i don't like to just somewhat say i get bored of history well this goes on today think of how many christians today pretend to be christians they go to church every sunday but yet they despise the word of god they wouldn't they won't have a they and I use this example all the time because it's one that's prevalent in our society, they wouldn't have you speak out against homosexuality, yet it's very clear in the Bible that that's a wicked, abominable act. And yet they say, no, it's not. Well, that's the same thing, What the same treacherous thing that Judah did. They said, I love the Lord, but not really. Verse 11, And the Lord said unto me, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than treacherous Judah. Again, that's basically what I just said. Israel was more justified than Judah because Judah did the same things, but she pretended that she loved God. Verse 12, Go and proclaim these words toward the north, and say, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Now this verse is so deep and so profound that it's amazing that people have overlooked this verse. So most people think that the ten lost tribes of Israel, they were taken into Assyrian captivity and they basically blended in with the paganism uh, with the pagans and they were they were erased. No more Israelites, they're all gone. Well, this verse here Israel was already taken into captivity into Assyria, and God is saying that he will not be angry against Israel forever. Meaning at some point he's going to take her back. She can't be non-existent. It's not just the Jews or the tribe of Judah that he cares about. He says proclaim toward the north. Look, at, look up to, he's telling Jeremiah, shout towards Assyria to the Israelites, to the house of Israel. Not to the Jews, but to the house of Israel. And, uh, and tell them that I'm not going to keep my anger forever. Oops. Verse 13. Only acknowledge thine iniquity, that thou hast tra transgressed against the Lord thy God, and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree. And you have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Again, he says, I want you to come back to me, but you have to acknowledge your iniquity. You have to admit that what you're doing is wrong. Otherwise, I can't do it. And, I mean, think about this. God is basically pleading, I, I want to take you back, but you've got to give me a reason to take you back. I'm not just going to take you back as long as you still have a whore's forehead, right? Um, nobody would want that. Verse 14, turn, O backsliding children saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Now, this is interesting because this seems to be a, uh, a prophecy concerning uh, the remnant or God's elect. He says, I'm not going to take the whole nation. The whole nation is not going to really turn back to me, but it's only going to be like one, uh, one of a city and two of a family. You ever wonder why our Bible studies are not that uh, um, you know, popular? <laughs> you wonder why there's just a small group of people? Is it, is it because 
we suck and nobody wants you know nobody wants you know to uh, hear uh, the Bible. Most well, it, they think we suck and they don't want to hear the Bible. So I guess that's true. But it's because people don't want to hear the truth. Only one of a city and two of a family. Okay. In other words, there's only going to be a remnant that actually want to study the Bible, that actually want to obey God. So you can't expect to, there to be great numbers uh, when you're dealing with uh, staying true to the Word of God. Just people aren't going to do it. They don't want to do it. It's not. It doesn't feel good. It's not comfortable. You, you think about why did the Israelites want to play the harlot? What was the reason? Pleasure. Pleasure. I can get I can get something for myself right now. But we know, uh, you know, from studying the Bible that yes, sin can bring pleasure for a season, and then it eventually turns to depression, misery, sadness, and destruction. But it will give you that high, that that pleasure for a time, but it doesn't last. Whereas joy, true joy, obedience to God, being faithful to one another. Um, isn't that quick fix like a drug that gives you a high? It's a it's a deep inner peace and uh, you know joy. So it, it, it's totally different. Um, you think about that. That's the, the, the nature of drugs themselves. Is they'll give people that high, but when they come down, what happens to them? They need more of it and more and more until finally they're a wretch. You look at those people that are on. Uh, uh, meth and stuff like that. You know, they don't take meth thinking, oh, this is great, I'm going to look like that in a couple of years. You know what I mean? I'm going to take it because it makes me feel really, really good. And uh, and they deceive themselves into thinking there's an easy way to happiness and there's not. Um, verse 15, I like this. And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and and understanding. Now, we that's basically what we constantly harp on every single time we do a Bible study, basically, is that real pastors should be teaching the Word of God, giving the people knowledge, not giving you a feel-good sermon, tugging on your emotions, doing all these games and gimmicks to you to try to get you to feel holy for a day, or, or um, whatever. Um, the pastors, the kind of pastors that God is looking for that are according to his heart are those that will teach the people knowledge and understanding. And that's that's the Bible, the whole thing. I saw, I saw a meme the other day, or that's what you call it, on Facebook. Uh, one of those, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what it said now. It said... Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was this this lady sitting in church, and she's thinking to herself, "Why do I keep hearing salvation messages over and over again?" And basically, something to the point where this is a pretty big book, and that's all I'm hearing. That tells me that there's something wrong. If I'm if I go to church and I hear the same message over and over again, and yet our Bible has this many pages, this many books and chapters, then there's something going on there. You're not you're, you're being robbed of a great portion of the Bible if that's what's going on. Um, verse 16. And if I had a picture of the, the meme, is that what you call those? Meme? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, if I had a picture of it, uh, that would have, it would have, it would have been way better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Jeremiah 3 verse 16. And it shall come to pass when you be multiplied and increase in the land, in those days, saith the Lord, they shall say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Neither shall it come to mind, neither shall they remember it, neither shall they visit it, neither shall that be done anymore. Now, in the Old Testament, the ark of the covenant, that was like the most holy object, so to speak. Um, it was tucked away in the holy of holies. I mean, you, you just didn't get to go, not everybody could go in and into that. It, into that uh, Holy of Holies to see the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, in fact, if you touched it and you weren't supposed to, you'd be struck dead. Okay? So it was a very um, significant symbol of God's kingdom. But what it was a symbol of, it was a symbol of God's throne. And why we're not going to remember that anymore at some point is because we're not going to have to look at the Ark of the Covenant as a symbol of God's throne. God's throne eventually is going to be here um, uh, in person, 
You know, we don't need something to remind us of it when it's already here. Now check it out. They'll say it here. At that time, they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all nations shall be gathered unto it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil hearts. And that's the time we all look forward to. I mean, um, we look forward to the time when all nations obey God. Again, look, at it says all nations here. It doesn't say all individuals. Okay? Uh, God, again, deals with nations as a whole. I mean, he calls, he says he's married to Israel and likens her to a woman um, that is his bride. And then he even likens the nations of Israel and Judah to sisters. But he combines them all, and he looks at them as two individuals, two, two women that um, were sisters. Okay, so this really this, this is talking about the time when, when the throne of the Lord is set up in Jerusalem. Um, I have no doubt it's talking about the time when Jesus returns and he sets up his uh, thousand-year reign on this earth, and Satan is locked in the pit for a thousand years. And uh, during that time, nobody's going to be walking after their, their own imaginations because Satan's influence will be locked out. But it will be let out for a short season uh, right after that. All right, 18. In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given for an inheritance unto your fathers. Again, now check this out. The house of Judah and the house of Israel. Two separate nations. Everybody today, basically every church you go to today, it's bizarre. They all just talk about the Jews. Oh, the Jews are God's chosen people. Well, God says there's a day coming when the house of Judah and the house of Israel will be combined in one. Meaning what? They're still separate. They're still separate. The Jews are not Israel and the Israel... Israelites are not Jews. Um, I guess sometimes the Jews can be called Israelites because they are Israelites as part of that nation. But as far as what God's talking about is that nation was split into two. Two different houses. And there's a time coming when they will be reunited as one, and that'll be when Jesus returns. Verse 19, But I said, How shall I put thee among the children? And give thee a pleasant land, a goodly heritage of the host of the nations. And I said, Thou shalt call me my father, and shalt not turn away from me. Eventually, the nation will turn back to God. Verse 20, Surely as a wife treacherously departeth from her husband, so have ye dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. Okay. <coughs> Now, what, here he says, a wife treacherously departed from her husband. You know, this happens so often today. The spiritual um, aspect of our nation is reflected in the physical aspect of our nation right now. Uh, you look at the divorce rate, how high it is. It's, it's sad. God considers it a divorce a treacherous thing. It's sad. It's like, a, it's like a death in the family, you know, when that happens. It affects the kids. It affects everything. And it spills out into society when, when you have a, a divorce rate so high as ours. Um, anyways, verse 21, A voice was heard upon the high places, weeping and supplications of the children of Israel. For they have perverted their way, and they have forgotten the Lord their God. Okay, Weeping. It's, like I said before, sin brings temporary pleasure, but when that pleasure runs out, misery takes its place. Verse 22, return ye backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Behold, we come unto thee, for thou art the Lord our God. Okay. Truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. Okay, so you don't look to the hills, you don't look to other nations, you don't look to great political leaders for your salvation, ultimately we must put our hope and trust in God. Um, I could even go further. We don't put our trust in, you guys have many, many people have heard this, 
Capitol Hill. See how the Bible, it's a lot closer than we realized. Because the hills were always the places of this places where they built centers of power on the hill, the high places. And that's what we did uh, with our government buildings, uh, Capitol Hill. Uh, we don't look for salvation there. We look for our salvation from God. Verse 24, For shame hath devoured the labor of our fathers from our youth, their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. Verse 25, We lie down in our shame, and our confusion cover us, covereth us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers, from our youth even unto this day, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. All right, so in conclusion, um, just as God was willing to take backsliding Israel back if she repented of her sins, um, God is willing to take every individual back as well, no matter how far we backslid. And that's the, the beautiful thing. We don't want to use this as an excuse. We don't want to take advantage of God's mercy and his loving kindness by saying, I'll go sin a lot, get a lot of pleasure, then I'll come back to him and say, uh, uh, you know, I, I, please forgive me, and then do it again. No one, that's not, you know, nobody would want to be married to somebody that would do that to them, take advantage of them like that. Um, and so on. So that's the big theme. God wants to take his people back, but we've got to acknowledge our trespasses. Uh, any questions or comments? Yeah, two things that I was thinking about. One, and I've said this before, and I'll probably say it again, uh, not, assume, and not assuming you have the answers, but it makes me think, you know, you were talking about the third, you know, there's a third that's kind of God-fearing, and then the third that's whacked out of the lab. But so, and God looks at nations, people as nations, two-thirds doesn't. So then how does God punish a nation, you know, like that? It's just, I don't know, it's, it's a, this is the question I always wrestle with, you know, if he's going to punish a nation, what about the third that has repented and that is serving him and, you know, so, um, that was the one thing. And then the other was,
yeah, real Bible teaching uh, isn't isn't doesn't draw people in because it's not always fun. Well, there was a time when uh, I think it was when Jesus was talking about the evil spirit dwelling in a man, and he got him got seven more or something like that, where many of Jesus' disciples thought that was just too crazy sounding, and they they left him. They stopped listening to him. So even Jesus himself back, so if we ever feel bad that we're not reaching out people, uh, people left him when he when he really got to some of the deeper truths that were hard for people to understand. Um, yeah, and he was the son of God. <laughs> and the other point to your question, uh, and I think you bring up a good point, I, it seems as though Israel had not even a third. Like, we seem to have at least about a third of people that really want to get America back to its beginnings. And so that gives me a lot of hope that maybe maybe the numbers are so great that God will uh, restore our nation. It doesn't seem like you know we're down to a tenth, you know, or something really small at this point. Right. Kind of felt like that's where we were heading before Donald Trump came on the scene. It seemed like nobody really cared. So, I don't know. I'm 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 remaining hopeful. But prepare if it goes the other way too. <laughs> Any other questions or comments? So how exactly is the Amazon sun dead? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to tell people how to figure it out themselves without talking about it too much. <laughs> I'll talk to you about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh so the long I'm kind of repeating myself, but people that are steeped in paganism they like their symbols and they know that they wouldn't go over too well if they just told us what they were so they oftentimes make them present them as though they're something else when they're really something else or they have a dual meaning mm -hmm. and it's a gross symbol so like under armor is that bad or most of symbols uh, I haven't really looked into those Disneyland has some hidden things in, in yeah. there. Yeah. And well, they're, and you would be very surprised. If you, could, you could YouTube it. There, in some of those really innocent type Disney movies, even some of the older ones, yeah. there was some really perverse images put in the background that would, your, your eye would be drawn to them and you'd totally miss them. And you see it and you're like, I cannot believe it. Whoever did that, they thought it was funny to flaunt that disgusting stuff before us. It's just twisted, but it's there. Well, you look at one of the Disney heroes, my Miley Cyrus, right? Look at what she turned out to be. She doesn't even know what kind of sexuality she is. She calls her a pan, self a pansexual or something like that. I don't even know what that means anymore. Seems they have everything, so they don't need to go out and do things with other people. You know, just you've got every device. I think technology has pushed back a hundred years. To be honest, you know, I mean, mentally and, and socially, it's just we've gotten too far. Mm -hmm. You know, with technology, we don't need anything anymore. It's just or other human interaction. Right. Like if you need something, you can just order it. Right. cover ourselves in public so you can't smile at anybody at the grocery store. <laughs> it used to be a neighborhood was a neighborhood. Yeah. Everybody knew everybody and it was good and stuff. Now it's just like, yeah, I don't know what that guy does. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's into themselves. Does it, I, I think I said this before, but when you guys go to the store, does it seem like everybody's a little bit grumpy now? <laughs> yeah. Especially just, if you're not wearing a mask. Yeah, just, it's like, yeah, it just seems totally different than it was prior to all the mask wearing, you know. Everybody just seems irritable. Especially the employees. Yeah. Wear those masks eight hours a day. Yeah, I feel sorry for them. <coughs> yeah. They're working eight hours. Anything else? All right, that officially ends it.
Where's your really good? Well, I got Dick and Jam want to come and, uh, you know, I like that. After deer hunting, I'm supposed, you know, he's like, I didn't want to bother him the first weekend after deer hunting, but uh, I'm going to get back on him and tell him, you know, he wants to come and. Who's that now? A friend of mine. And I told him you should come and hear real uh, things instead of. It was quite a ways away, unfortunately. Yeah, but I mean, he said, yeah, but he'd like to at one time because I explained how this system works versus, uh, you know, all the. And if he likes the two things, he's always watching online.